How do I make peace when God doesn't answer my prayers the way I think he should? A few months ago, I prayed for something I thought was really good. It had to do with one of my sons. And guys, I prayed good and long and hard about this for him. I was incredibly specific too. Like, I mean, I covered every single thing that could possibly have happened at this upcoming event, asking the Lord for a specific outcome for him, like detailed. I was so detailed with the Lord and walked into that event full of faith in the God who can. So let me be clear. I I just want this to be known. Like I have thought through prayer for a long, long time. I've even written some books on the topic of prayer. I knew going into this that God was not obligated to answer my prayers the way I wanted him to, but I wasn't actually prepared for him to say no to every single request that day. The fact of the matter is that he did the exact opposite of what I'd asked for. And y'all, I was hurt. Like I was stumped by this. I paused for a minute for about a week. Like I'm just, I'm just thinking, Lord, like you didn't even give me one thing that I asked for in this particular instance. And I was kind of mad at him for not doing this for my son. This is the kind of scenario we're talking about on today's show. I'm Brooke McLaughlin, an author, speaker, teacher, and small-town girl from the mountains of Appalachia. Over the years, I've had the privilege of encouraging countless moms toward a richer prayer life, helping them catch a vision for the partnership God invites them into as they become praying moms. Prayer is action all by itself. And our prayers can impact the people we love most for generations to come. I created the Million Praying Moms podcast because prayer is one of the most overlooked parts of Christian parenting today. Let's change that together. My goal is to help you see prayer not as a last resort, but as your first and best response. If you have questions about prayer or motherhood, if you need help taking the first steps toward a praying life, Or if you want to know how to pray for specific needs affecting our children in today's culture, you're in the right place, friend. Prayer warrior or mom who's just starting the journey, all are welcome here. Let's get started. Did you know that peace is not a feeling? According to Galatians 5, 22 through 23, peace, along with other important things like love, joy, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control are fruit, not feelings. That means a seed of peace was planted in you the moment you became a believer in Jesus. And if it's a seed, it can grow. If you often feel like your life is an emotional roller coaster and struggle to find consistent peace, join me in the Enjoy God's Word online women's Bible conference, December 1st through 3rd. The conference is a deep dive Bible study of the book of Titus, but I'll be teaching a breakout session called Understanding Biblical Peace. Many Christians feel like their peace is dependent upon the roller coaster of life. In my breakout session, I'm going to show you how to get off. We'll learn to stop stuffing a worldly definition of peace into a biblical one and together find out what true biblical peace really is. For more information, visit today's show notes or millionprayingmoms.com forward slash biblical peace. That's one word, millionprayingmoms.com forward slash biblical peace. 
before we dive in, I want to introduce my very, very special guest today, who has actually been a guest on this podcast so many times that she doesn't feel like a guest anymore. And that's kind of the point. Stacey Thacker has been a partner of mine in ministry, an advisor to me, a co-laborer as we've written books together, a prayer partner, and just a friend for so many, many years now. And I am just thrilled to bring her on today. Stacy and I have a tendency, if, you, if you've never listened to one of our podcasts together, you should do that. But we have a, a tendency to bring out the best in each other. And so I've invited her to join me as a co-host on the Tuesday episodes where I answer your questions about prayer, motherhood, and just walking out life as a woman of God. Stacy, welcome back. In the crazy rare event that someone listening has not heard you on the show before, tell us a little bit about you and your ministry. Well, hello, Brooke. Hello, everyone. Um, first of all, let me wipe the tears away because that was so sweet. Everything that you said, I'm so honored and humbled. But it is true. I do think we bring out the best in each other. So I am excited to be on this journey with you, this new podcast journey. You know, I told you before, I've always wanted to have a podcast. So maybe this is it. So I'm excited to play the co-host with you. It'll be fun. But if we haven't met yet, um, my name is Stacy, and I am a wife of 28 years, which just makes me sound ancient. It makes you sound wise. Yeah, well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Even this extra tidbit of having four children. Okay. My oldest is 23 and my baby just turned 13 this week. And so I'm just in denial. There's no more children, like babies in my house. They're, they're like teenagers and above. I currently have three teenagers. So let's just take a pause. I'm going to need this, this, this episode personally, the two in the middle, which um, are our amazing middles are 19 and 16. So we are an all girl family. And so that's kind of what makes Brooke and I a little bit different is that she has the boy family and I have the all girl family. Our family has lived in central Florida for the past 20 years this month, which is kind of fun. It's a 20 year um, anniversary for us. And before that, I grew up in Southern Indiana. So I'm a Midwestern small town girl at heart, but I currently live really close to Mickey Mouse. So. Um, I'm not living in a small town anymore, Uh, but we love Central Florida. Um, I'm a writer, really a writer, I think really because I'm a mom. I think that's really what drew it out of me finally. And so um, I've written and I speak. My passion is to teach and talk about God's word and how it applies to our life. My happy place is the beach with the book. Kind of wish I was there today, Brooke. Oh man, I could do that too. I could totally do that too. That way we could just sit together and read our individual books and then talk about them. That would be perfect. Yes. And we could not talk while we're reading and then talk after. I love that. That's, that's a solid plan. It's cold here this week. I know I'm, I'm, you know, generally okay with that. And I am okay with, I'm not complaining because I do like cold weather, but it has been like, I think it was in the low forties yesterday when we got up. So that's, you know, it's chilly around here. So I could go for a beach. I really could. So I have a question for you about the ages of your children and, and the fact that you said that, you know, there's no more babies anymore. Do you look at your girls and when they do certain things, see the younger child that they were like facial expressions or like just certain little things that you're like, Oh my goodness, that little girl is still in there. Do you, am I the only one that does that? For sure. For sure. In fact, it just happened this week. We were celebrating my youngest daughter's birthday and my one of my girls said her other sister's name. And I have this video on my phone somewhere in phone land where she's she's trying to get her sister's attention. And there's this inflection that she has. And I was like, take startled and taken <laughs> back. I was like, oh my goodness, 
sometimes I think the Lord just does that because it just keeps our heart, you know, tender and kind towards our kids is to remember that they are still our little ones, even though they're all grown up. It's so sad. So So. true. Yeah. (laughs) Mine are 15 and 17. Now I've got a senior and it just blows me away. But I still like, I look at him sometimes and he looks so radically different than he was kind of a late bloomer and has grown tremendously in the last year and a half or so. And I look at him and I'm thinking, my goodness, you don't even look like the same kid. But then there's these little glimpses. glimpses that just rip at my heart, you know, like, oh, I miss that little boy that brought me the flower or wore a superhero cape or or whatever. But I see it in there sometimes still. So it's good to know. Good it's to know. good. It's all good. Hey, let's get to today's question because I know our listeners are really eager to t- to hear what you have to think about this great question that I think we've all had at some point and just to talk about it. How are we supposed to make peace with God when he doesn't answer our prayer the way we think he should? Because we all know how we think he should answer it. So help me walk me through that. Walk us through that. How do we make peace when God's answer is very different than our hoped for answer? Yeah. And I I just want to be really honest. I mean, like I shared at the beginning, this happened to me recently where not only did God say no, like he did the exact opposite of what I had prayed for. It was humbling. And it really, I, like I mentioned, I, I took a pause to really think about that and be like, good grief. This was, this was not that hard, Lord. Those were the things that were running through my mind, right? Like this was not that big a deal. And, and you could have done that and you didn't do it. And so I think that in order to talk about this effectively, we have to talk about our definition of the word good, because what we're really saying when we ask this question is not necessarily why did God not answer my prayers the way I wanted him to, but really what we're asking is why doesn't God want to be good to me, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So when we're asking God for something that we believe is inherently good, so like maybe someone's salvation or healing or enough food to eat or money enough to pay a bill or even for a child to perform at something well, and we don't get it, it can make us question whether or not God himself is good. And that's a problem, but it's actually a heart level error in our understanding about who God is and our place in his creation. I look at those things, Stacy, like praying for somebody to get saved or praying for healing um, in someone that I love dearly. And I cannot, it does not make sense to me that those things are not good. Surely it would be good for God to save this person that I am praying for. Surely it would be good for God to heal this person. He would get all the glory, especially when the doctors are saying it can't be done. God, glorify yourself. You would, this would be, yay God, this would be good. And everybody would see your hand and know it's you. It's hard for us to look at things like that and say, how could this not be good? But we are not the ultimate judge of what is good or even how the word good is defined. And I'm just going to be really honest and say that I don't like that. I don't like that. I can't just look at something and say, this is good. I feel like that I'm intelligent enough to be able to define what's good and what's not. And it just doesn't seem like rocket science. It doesn't seem like it's that hard to look at this situation and see where God could get the glory and it would be good. Hmm. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. But when I'm in that situation, especially as it pertains to me and and my people, um, I'm really tempted just to let God know what I think is good. Like, okay, Lord, um, you know, I walk with you. 
I mean, I'm, I've been, I know the word enough to be able to kind of have an opinion here. And so it's really tempting to tell God what I think good is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you're the same as me, but that's, yeah. that's where I'm going to struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And the truth is though, that God is the creator of good, right? Of everything good. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. On top of that, he created everything good. Like he created everything, period. So so because of that, he gets to define what good is. And as humans, we can only see in part. Now, everybody that's seen me, a picture of me knows that I wear glasses. And I've used this analogy lots of times. You have glasses on too right now, Stacey. Like it just is a part of of aging, whether you wear them all the time or whether you wear them to read or whatever, it you know, our eyes change as we get older. And the fact of the matter, the very simple fact of the matter is that I can't see very well if I don't wear my glasses. And so here's a funny example. I have two different sets of glasses. The ones that I have on now, I just got, and they have reader. They have like the reader prescription in the bottom because I no, can't uh, see any. Yeah, they do. Uh, I'm 44. It's there. I mean, it's, it's the way it is. Well, like, you know, that when you have to, welcome. I know, you, you, you know, that when you have to make your font on your phone, like so big that it, it might be time to get readers in your glasses, right? So, so the top part is my regular prescription and the bottom is the readers. And I have trouble. I don't know if it's because of the position of our television or what, but I have trouble sometimes when we're like, we've been watching the Yankees this week in the playoffs and all that. And I'm having trouble looking at the television and seeing really well. Like, I feel like I'm constantly moving my head around trying to find the sweet spot. Like, do I need to look through this part of the lenses or do I need to look through this part of the lenses? And so instead of fighting that battle, I have just been putting on my old glasses that don't have the readers in them to watch television. Well, I was doing that on Saturday night. I just put on the old ones. And Sunday morning, I realized when I got to church and opened up my Bible that I still had on my old glasses and I couldn't see anything. I'm looking at my Bible and I'm like, I can, I can read it better without them. Like it's terrible. And so I just had to go through the day and, and I couldn't actually see anything. And that's how it is. That's, that's the, that's the power of understanding God's truth in our lives. We only see in part. But when we become united with Christ, when God saves us, you know, God gives us a more full picture, a fuller picture of, of what is happening in the world. But even though he does, he still sees the full picture. Like we still don't get it all. We get to see more clearly when we come to him because we can apply his truth to our lives, but he still has the full picture of how he's going to work all things together for good. Now, my oldest son is going through an experience right now where his dad and I have needed to remind him over and over and over again that God will work all things, not just the good things, not just the bad things, and not even just the downright ugly things, but all things for his good. We can't see the full picture, but we can trust God at his word. Okay. So now this gets even more difficult because I think in my own life, I can talk to God about something. I can pray about something and I can kind of be a big girl and I can accept God, whatever he says. But when it comes to my kids, I think that's a whole nother level of trust to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with my daughter, my, you know, for you, my son, like that's a whole nother level of trust, don't you think? I really do. I mean, I I actually have said, I just said in our Sunday school class just the other day that I find it much easier to apply God's truth to my life and accept it than I do 
to apply it to my children's lives and accept it. It is just extremely hard to trust God sometimes with the people that we love the most. It just is. I mean, I don't think there's any point in hiding that. Probably all mothers struggle and fathers struggle in this area to trust God with their kids. It's just easier to do it for ourselves. And yet in the midst of that, the only thing that I have found to battle that emotion, that deep seated emotion that mothers have to want what is best, what they think is best for their kids is again, to go back and look at what is actually good for them. And sometimes we call things good that are not good. So look with me for a second. If you guys have your Bible, open it up. If you're in a place where you can look at it, pull it up on your phone and look at the story at one of the stories of Peter in Matthew 6, 21 through 23. This is a familiar story to a lot of people. Jesus is beginning in this passage to talk to his disciples about going to Jerusalem. He's saying, we're going to start moving in that direction. And he actually specifically tells them that he's going to make his way to the place they think he should stay the heck away from, right? Like they're like, why in the world would you want to go there? And he even says, that when they get there, he's going to suffer and be killed and then be raised again. Like he's telling them, hey guys, we're going into the worst possible place for me to go from the human perspective, but this is where we're going. And Peter, who we know is our lovable, stubborn, impulsive Peter, does not like this plan. And he tells Jesus that he's never going to let it happen. Absolutely not. Peter was a protector and a fighter. And he said, nope, I'm not letting that happen to you, Jesus. Because in his mind, protecting Jesus from that kind of harm is a good thing. And in his mind, keeping Jesus safe furthers the kingdom. He is all in on whatever this is, even though we know he may not have had a full understanding of what it was at that point. He's all in. He is following Jesus and wanting to be a part of whatever God is doing in this point of history. So he's looking at this with his human eyes and saying, this is not good. Suffering would only hinder God's plan as Peter understood it. But I want us to look at Jesus's response to Peter. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns. And I mean, like, wow, (laughs) wow. Like, right. I mean, it's just, that's powerful. Jesus actually called Peter Satan and Peter thought he was doing something good. Jesus went on to say, you're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And that to me applies directly to parenthood. Before I, I want to give a response to something you said, but I can literally feel Peter's guilt right there. Like, I'm like, oh, that's so me. But you said something, and I just think it was so brilliant. You said Peter wanted to keep Jesus safe, that he felt like that was a better thing for the kingdom to protect Jesus. And I think as that really resonates as parents, when you said that, I was like, that's totally me. Because as a mama, I want to keep my kids safe. But safe isn't always his plan. And here we see Peter misinterpreting the definition of even safe, what is safe? You know, Jesus's plan and his perspective was so much bigger than Peter's. But, but personally, when, when in this story in particular, when Jesus says that to Peter, like it pierces my heart. I can so identify with our buddy, Peter. Thank you, Jesus, for including this conversation. 
Absolutely. It normalizes the whole conversation. Like we've just been saying that we don't understand why what we can't see with our own eyes can't be good. And yet here Peter is, you know, with the Savior himself wanting to move something forward that from an eternal perspective was not good. So I think it's important for us to realize, just like Peter had to, that our beliefs about what could or should be good in our circumstances or the way God answers our, you know, quote unquote, good prayers could actually hinder the bigger plans of God. Peter thought he was standing up for what was right, but it wasn't God's definition of good, of what was good for the Savior that he had sent to the world. In fact, keeping Jesus from going to Jerusalem and suffering would have been very, very bad for all of us. Not that God couldn't have done it a different way, but, you know, God is is able, but that was the, the whole point was to get him there. And and our salvation depended on it. Yeah, and I think it's really easy. I mean, let's let's pull back a little bit. It's really easy for us to see that with our perspective where we sit. It's really easy, even though we feel deeply with Peter, to go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. P- God's plan was so much better. But in our skewed perspective, in our moments, in our present moments, the things that we're praying about, how do we do that, Brooke? How do we, by faith, ask for Jesus's perspective in our prayer life. like Because that's really what we're talking about here is, and I loved your analogy of the glasses. How do we put those glasses on? Well, that's what I was going to refer back to is the first step is to put the glasses of truth back on, right? Like that's what we have to do because we are emotional beings and we have gut reactions. And I think it's important to allow yourself a little bit of time. I will say that by God's grace, the amount of time that it takes me to get from my emotional reaction, my instant gut reaction to the point where I can say, okay, I need to put my glasses back on. It's getting shorter as I get older and praise God for that because it's nothing I did on my own. I don't have to, like, I don't have to dwell in that place of doubt for as long as I used to, or maybe would have 10 or 15 years ago. So I praise God for that. But I think Like, for example, in the situation with my son that I shared earlier, you know, God didn't just say no. Again, he allowed the exact opposite of what I had prayed. And I I mentioned that I had prayed in this very detailed, very specific way about every single little point and piece of what was about to happen. Nothing I prayed for came true. Not one thing that I prayed for came true. He allowed the exact opposite of it to happen. And, and I think for me, you know, after allowing myself to, to digest that a little bit and trusting that my relationship with God can withstand me asking him hard questions, like that's what grows us, right? When we encounter hard things and we ask God hard questions and then we can embrace hard truths, that's what grows us in our faith. And so I had to step back after putting that lens of truth on back on and say, I don't know what you're doing, Lord, because I can't see everything. I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you to be good. Somehow this thing that feels anything but good right now, you're going to use it. Maybe I'll see it one day and maybe I won't. I mean, there is no promise that God is going to allow us to see the reason that he allowed something to happen. But in spite of that, we can trust you that you're working it together with all the other things for our good. That's the place we have to get to. That's strong. That's good. 
That is so good. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's practical prayer punch where we answer your questions about prayer. Some of today's show was quoted directly from Brooke's book. That's really hard to say, Brooke's book. But the book is not. It's called Praying Mom, Making Prayer the First and Best Response to Motherhood, which, as a side note, is my favorite book by Brooke. And that's saying a lot because I've co-written a couple with her. So this is my favorite book. You guys want to make sure you have a copy of it handy because you're going to want to write in it take notes, share it with a friend, take pictures and put it on Instagram, you know, all the things. So make sure you have a physical copy of Praying Mom. We're going to be talking more about it in the days ahead. Um, You can learn more in the show notes, Brooke. I knew it was a great idea to have you come on the show. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Till next time, friends. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Million Praying Moms podcast. You can connect with other praying women by following us on Instagram at Million Praying Moms or at the Million Praying Moms website where you'll find tools to guide you as a praying mom. And don't forget to download your free copy of my resource, How to Pray God's Word for Your Children. This quick read will have you praying God's Word for your family within the next couple of hours. Seriously, find all the links you need at millionprayingmoms.com. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth, unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.